0: For epilepsy, there is hope. Hey podcast listeners, Tori Robinson here for Epilepsy Sparks Insights, a podcast about epilepsy, epilepsy research, common comorbidities, and all of the fascinating science behind it. Whether you have epilepsy, are a family member, a neurologist, neuropsychiatrist, therapist, neurophysiologist, scientist, or researcher, Epilepsy Sparks Insights is designed to help you learn more about epilepsy from the other side of the table. I'm a person with epilepsy and some missing brain tissue. I hope to help bridge the unnecessary gap between patients, the public, and the aforementioned. Because epilepsy research and science are cool.
1: Certainly 40, 50
0: years ago, people with epilepsy were largely desexualised. Sex when you have epilepsy? Well, that is what consultant urologist Charlotte Lotham and I are going to be talking about in today's recording. We're talking about people of all genders and sexes, uh, people who, in addition to having epilepsy, may have intellectual disability, or autism, people with controlled seizures and people with refractory epilepsy. I even talk a little bit about my own experience having a seizure during sex. Sexual dysfunction is really common in humans in general, but very common in people with epilepsy for a multitude of reasons, which Charlotte and I are going to be talking about. So, if you're interested in learning more about this topic, do stay tuned and make sure you subscribe to the channel. Thanks for joining us, Charlotte. It's so lovely to meet you like this rather than just chatting on Twitter. Please tell everybody about
1: yourself. Thanks very much for having me. Um, I am a consultant neurologist in Newport. I spend about 60% of my time in epilepsy and I've got interest in intellectual disability, and epilepsy and I'm kind of obsessed with drugs and pharmacogenomics. We've hmm. got a big project in our centre where we routinely collect mood scores, so we're really invested in recognising and treating mood disorder um, Brilliant. and my, today I'm really happy because we're going to be talking about the taboo subject that is sex. <gasps> That's outrageous. Who talks about well, that? <laughs> there is not enough people talk about it because clearly there are many, many people out there who are desperate to speak to somebody about their sexual concerns, worries and issues.
0: Exactly. And, you know, it's something that's still going on. I, I, I believe the population is still uh, increasing. So um, it's something that really needs to be spoken of, well, amongst us as a population anyway. But I think specifically... Amongst people affected by epilepsy, it's even sometimes even more of a taboo. And I suppose, please correct me if I'm wrong, but there tends to be, I'm not sure I like this, uh, title for it, but sexual dysfunction amongst us for a number of different reasons. Could you elaborate on that, please?
1: What's interesting is that there's some, uh, sort of sociological data to suggest that sexual dysfunction is rising as a, as a marker in the world, and although as you wow. mentioned the population is still going on, in fact the um, the birth rate and the sex and the successful uh, pregnancy rate, in women is actually dropping fairly precipitously in developed nations and so there are lots of things about that so it suggests there's something about the way we live our lives that may mean um, sex has become more of a problem than it ever has before and I think that uh, certainly 40, 50 years ago people with epilepsy were largely desexualized. So I've heard lots yeah. of women say to me, "I was told that I must never have children." And of course, the easiest way to do that is to just not not have sex.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, we are animals, and most of us, and, unless we're asexual, you know, fancy a bit of sex upon occasion. Yeah. So what what's holding us back?
1: So what's interesting is that um, we talk a lot, don't we, about being health proactive. We tell people to uh, seven mm. to ten greens to exercise and we don't actually talk about sex and in fact there is quite a lot of data to show that sex is really good for mood um sex with a uh, a a consistent partner's red very good for immunity sorry that's my dog and I just wonder sex, what that was so morphed into a four legged animal and of course <laughs> sex has lots of health benefits and so Quite aside from any health benefits, anything that is good for mood has got to be a good thing. And we know that rates Mm -hmm. of depression and anxiety are much higher in people with epilepsy. And they're much higher in people with active epilepsy. And um, I'm really embarrassed to say that we still haven't published our data that we've been collecting. But in our active epilepsy group, in our cohort, we've got rates of uh, mood disorder of about 79% in people with active epilepsy. So that, you've then got the issue of if people aren't having sex, sex is a potential mood enhancer. And you've also got the issue that uh, lots of the medications that we use for mood are uh, not good in terms of driving down a libido. And also, and this can be very frustrating, delaying orgasm, both orgasm for a female and um, a traditional ejaculation for a man. So there's lots of things about sexuality and sexual behaviour that are concerning, I think.
0: Okay, what stops people from speaking to their neurologist or the GP about this? I mean, first of all, I mean, I think to be honest, especially if I have refractory epilepsy, it's not top of my list. It's not priority if your life's a bit pants anyway, because you have uncontrolled seizures. That's a generalization. But as you're saying, sex can play a huge, healthy sex can play a huge part, a positive part of somebody's life. So what else do you think stops people from bringing this up with their doc or their nurse? So I think it'd be interesting
1: because I suspect if we ask epilepsy nurses, they'll get a a higher rate of being asked about that.
0: I do wonder, yeah. I
1: think the general neurologist, oh, sorry, by general neurologist, I mean the neurologist or the epileptologist is likely to have a much lower rate of people speaking to them. And I think that's probably because um, there are time constraints on appointments. Mm -hmm. And I think people think, well, if I talk to this person about my sex life, will they then take my other concerns seriously? So they probably fear that maybe sex is something that, that is lowered down on the list, as you just intimated. You know, if you've got terrible seizures, your sex life might not be that important. But having said that, if you're living with 30 seizures a month and it hasn't got by there in 10 years, why shouldn't you have sex as well?
0: You know, that's another issue. Totally. I totally agree. And also because of the how linked it is to mental health and how you've mentioned it can help basically make you feel more positive at least temporarily it's something to take into account when looking after yourself after yourself as a whole right
1: and I find interestingly that um we're quite good at talking about contraception with women we don't talk about it at all with men um I've had a number of men say to me um My partner and I are trying to get pregnant. Do you think that the drug I'm on is affecting my sperm quality? And that, of course, is something that we don't talk about. And we know that it is true for sodium valproate. And yet, despite all the attention on prevent, actually, we are focused entirely on teratogenicity in the female. And one of the things that has led to sexual conversations with women has been because they're taking sodium valproate. And so I've had to start a conversation about... Um, risks of getting pregnant. And they say to me, I'm not having sex and I'm not having sex because it's uncomfortable, it's painful, I feel uh, worried, or I had a seizure once during sex and I can never go there again.
0: Well, just so everyone knows, I have had a seizure during sex. Luckily, it was a few years ago. And if you ask me, how was it? I'd say, I don't know, because I'm no. um, lucky in a way that I don't remember much of it. Um, I imagine the other person may, um, but I don't feel at all ashamed for it. Why would I? Um, and I never have done, but also I've been very, very, very open about my epilepsy with everybody that I've ever been worked with, all that type of thing as well. So there was nothing to surprise anybody. Um, not that it was, you know, expected, shall we say, but, um, and I think we need to be, as people with epilepsy, we shouldn't be ashamed of saying it's happened because I've met loads of people who've told me it's happened. I'm sure, I'm sure you have, right, Charlotte? Yes. I mean, it's fascinating because I think the worst situation
1: for it to happen in is if someone is having sex with somebody who doesn't know that they have seizures.
0: Right. That would be so awful. And then they have
1: a seizure and then they feel um, outed in a way you know I tried to hide this and it's appeared and that's awful and I think you know if only people were more open about their epilepsy we wouldn't be in such a difficult position so someone said to me who are you doing a podcast with and I said actually she's perhaps best described as an epilepsy influencer (laughs) and ambassador
0: because
1: there aren't (laughs) enough people who are prepared to say look at me I'm a successful human being and i I'm living with epilepsy.
0: Yeah, well, you're very, very kind using those terms. I, I'm so stereotypical English. I'm like, I can't take that co- compliment. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, you must remember, this is this is for everybody. A compliment is like a box of chocolates. It's a gift. So you have to receive it with graciously.
0: It's great. <laughs> That's
1: right. Calorie free. One of the things that for anybody who is worried about that or who's had that before, the key thing is try not to have sex with somebody that you don't feel safe right. with in that scenario so and that's you know that's not a moral thing at all it's just that unfortunately if there is a possibility of an additional complex thing happening in sex that could be true. so you need to think if i had a seizure would this person know what to do and how would they respond and that probably means basic things about first aid and um, and also what's really important is that they recognize a seizure and that they stop
0: because I'm
1: very I'm really interested with this idea of consent and if somebody has reduced or impaired awareness by definition they are no longer consenting to the sexual activity
0: totally and also if they don't know that you're having a seizure I mean funny they could think something else is going on um and keep going which (laughs) And it would be very confusing for them, um, especially you go if you go from yep. focal to bilateral tonic-clonic or, or you know, um, and that could be really yep. quite traumatising for that, the other person, I think. So out of, this just yes. personal, but out of respect for myself and for the other person, I would tell them. I think it might be quite, uh, or I wonder if it would be quite a challenge for people who otherwise um, do have controlled seizures. Like, so I know people, someone who hasn't had a seizure in 20 years. Well, you know, won't have them. But are they? Because you might be tired, darlings, and, you know, it might be late, and, you know, you might be excited, and that's a bit of an invitation, I don't know, for many of us anyway, for a seizure.
1: So particularly, you know, if you're in the, you know, if you're having frequent sleep deprivation and excitement and trauma and perhaps alcohol, and maybe you've not taken your medication on time, lots and lots of issues there yes
0: yes so women will talk about sexual dysfunction more than men on average I suggest um I wonder sometimes could it be more obvious sometimes if a man has sexual dysfunction given the workings of genitalia um and if so then what would you recommend for men um, or people who identify as male, should I say, um, when they have sexual dysfunction and epilepsy.
1: So it's really interesting because I would say that neurologists are more likely to inquire about um, erectile dis- dysfunction right. than anything else. They won't necessarily ask about delayed ejaculation. Uh-huh. Um Although if somebody's complaining of low sex drive or difficulty, I I will straight out ask the question.
0: I can imagine. (laughs) You can imagine. Because quite
1: often that will be linked to um, a medication and sometimes it's worth trying to switch things around. Um, I think that it's really important, and I say this to people all all the time, sex is an emotive, deeply psychological thing. And so therefore... um, it's very easy for that whole very fragile house of cards to go crashing down.
0: Gosh, and I yes. often
1: say to people, once you've had a problem with erectile dysfunction, it can be um, a self full circle. It's like a positive feedback loop. I end up doing quite a lot of testosterone testing in <laughs> men, and I now that I said that out loud, I am aware that probably I am guilty of being gendress myself there because. There is data to suggest that women with low testosterone report of low libido and poor or orgasm-reaching. But to my shame, I'm usually testing it in men. And um, about a third of the time, it is low. And I've got quite a lot of men who are on testosterone replacement. Now, of those, some of those have been on um, sodium valproate, which we know has metabolic problems, a couple have been on carbamazepine. So I do think that when we're thinking about drugs and metabolic syndromes and weight gain and diabetes, we probably need to think about um, endocrine dysfunction as a whole, including genitalia.
0: I wish in the past my neurologist had brought this up, not just do you want children, because let's think about the drugs for that reason, but you know, are you, are you, have you got some nice little feelings going on, you know? And how do things stand there? Is it all
1: working? Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: And what is working to an in, different people? Well, it's different, I think, isn't it? Um, bit like, you know, we'll have people who are asexual and, uh, I don't know, have people who are asexual, how would they fit in here? Well, that's really interesting. And I guess the question is,
1: um, it's perfectly okay to be asexual by choice. It's not okay to feel that you've been... Pushed into that Venn diagram just for lack of any other better de- descriptors, I think.
0: So I, do you mean that you've come across some people who could might classify themselves as asexual because they're just not getting sex?
1: Yes, that's exactly what I mean. They feel that they are um, not they don't have access to wow. sex, not necessarily just because of epilepsy, often in a setting of other complex yeah. needs. There are an awful lot of people out there who want to have sex, don't know how to access it, feel that um, society tells them that they that they shouldn't. And we do tend to, we tend to desexualise people with any form of chronic disease. It's something that we do in our society.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I have a friend who has severe chronic disease. Lucky to still be alive, to be honest. An Amazing, amazing person. And we we will talk about sex a lot because it's never out there. Like he, nobody, but nobody would dare ask him about it either because they think, oh, one cannot bring up anything so rude. Goodness me. You know, well, and I was like, hey, fellow animal, how's it going? You know, because at the end of the day, that's what we are, yes. isn't it? We are apes and most people do at some point want to get it on oh do you know what i wanted to ask you as well and because i think nobody asks about this so what about people with intellectual disability and sexual desire i feel that i'm no expert on this at all but i uh, uh, think that you know we are fellow animals and surely many of them will have some sort of sexual desire
1: i completely agree and so i think People need to be assessed as individuals. Many people with intellectual disabilities have the capacity to decide whether they want to be sexually active, point one, Mm -hmm. and point two, who they want to be sexually active with. And Mm -hmm. quite often, if many young adults, particularly young adults, they live at home with parents who don't want to consider... Their children are sexual beings, and then having that sort of dis- discussion is very difficult. So often, it's framed in terms, particularly if it's a female, it's framed in terms of contraception. And then I say, "Well, is it possible that she could have a boyfriend or a partner and have sex?" And um, you know, this is sort of horrifying to some people. And and I always make the case that um, it's a basic human right. <laughs> And that it is really important that we have this conversation and there needs to be an advocate for them and I think where you you know clearly some some caregivers whether they be directly related or not, are very enlightened and are of that mind, but there is a real danger of saying um it's not going to happen because I'm not going to allow it to happen because you're going to be wrapped up in cotton wool the whole time and therefore there will be no Possibility. Um, I'm always really delighted when uh, young women with intellectual disability express that they do want to do things with people, and um, and I'm further delighted then when we can move that on and say, well, let's make sure that she is on contraception, and let's talk about how that can be done safely, and um, and in, in an intellectual disability setting not just the obvious people, but people like art therapists and psychologists can be really helpful in sort of facilitating that and that whole issue of consent and how it can be done. And um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the tea video about con- consent. So I don't know if I, I don't think so, but t- tell us about it. So if, if in stages, So someone says, I'd like a cup of tea, and they say, you'd like a cup of tea, how would you like your, your cup of tea? I'd like my tea like this. Okay, I'm boiling the kettle. So you would still like the cup of tea, yes. Here comes the tea. Is the tea as you wanted it? Yes, I. I this is the tea as I wanted it. Even once you start drinking the tea at any time, you're free to say, I don't want the tea. I
0: asked for the tea, but I don't want I want, want this it. mug instead, actually. And I'd rather have an extra half um, half teaspoon of sugar, thank you. So i'm That's not ready exactly for it. it yeah or so i'd rather skimmed milk ready. than semi-skimmed okay yeah
1: yes yeah exactly so at any time it's it's an iterative and it's evolving thing and mm. because tea is something that we all do or oh, <laughs> <we, laughs> yeah just a tad people are familiar with that as a concept yeah. so i think um that we do need to to, de-st- to de-stigmatize that um I'm involved in a research programme with uh, Rohit Shankar and my brother-in-law, Dan Goodley, and my sister.
0: Oh my god, keep it in the family, yes.
1: Keep it in the family. And they are psychologists and sociologists. And we're looking at a project in um, intellectual disability groups with epilepsy. And there are two advocacy groups that we're going to be talking to and and that is on my list Tori to talk to them about is sex how can we talk about it what's missing what can we do how can we empower and facilitate people to be to have the
0: freedom and the choice to have sexual relationships which is their right and not be taken advantage of so they know how to say like you're saying with the copper. one of the ways forward has got to be we've got to invest in more in more co-production of
1: research with people in these groups so, so right. it, where everybody talks about co-productive research but actually they they talk the talk but do we walk the walk it's very it's easy to say and hard to do um but i think that people are starting to realize the importance of it and i think particularly in autism uh, you know there is there is an emphasis on communication for food and toileting and even things like pain are often really overlooked you know the battles I've had about trying to get people to recognize pain and and you know pain is a big issue for somebody um one reason why somebody might not take their their medication is in they're in agony with dental pain and they need need a, um, a dental thing urgently so and then sex comes, as we've talked about it, way down on the list. But in fact, because sexual behaviour is common, um, it should be it should have much more of a focus on it.
0: I, I was having a conversation with this lady in the pub, and I think I might have mentioned this on another um, podcast, but anyway. Um, and she looked after, or worked in a, a centre for people with intellectual disability, uh, t- children like up to about the age of, I don't know, 18 or something. And there was one chap who wouldn't stop masturbating in front of people he had not been taught how to help control himself or go and do this. and what they did they put him like in overalls and zipped it up the, the only and i was like wow i i ain't no clinician but <laughs> that seems a bit i don't know
1: cruel and harsh what they needed to do was say um was to you know to go through a process of reward him for doing it in private, saying that's fine, and then try a lot of distraction techniques when he's outside. I mean, there have got to be better ways of handling this, but the problem is the best ways of handling them are often the things that are really dependent on human beings. And time. Oh humans. Oh. And so, you know, we live in a world where people and carers and caregivers are in such short supply that people tend to rely on non people related solutions.
0: So well, I felt sorry for both parties. I was like, the poor chap oh and then he was also doing stuff with excrement. Yeah, because he wanted to get sensations and and I so though some people listening think, Why are you talking about this is nothing to do with epilepsy? Wrong. This is a huge Uh, comorbidity for many people with epilepsy but it's just never spoken about really I don't think unless you're you know you're in trouble often and that's not fair it's not fair no it's not I mean what would you say to people who are just like totally whether it be just a confidence thing a cultural thing whatever how should or who can they speak to where they really feel they won't be judged okay
1: so I think if you don't have a good relationship with your neurologist, try your epilepsy specialist nurse. If you don't feel confident in that environment, um, many of the third sectors have link people. That um, oh, so we,
0: charities, yeah. <laughs> so
1: Epilepsy Wales and Epilepsy Action um, in Wales, there are people that will connect people, and sometimes as well, it's not ideal. But if the only way that you can access it is via a Facebook group, that'll probably give you some information and set you on the the right path. I also think that we probably need to make more sexual information available. So just as we've got lots of information about drugs on um, Hmm. websites, we don't have enough about uh, mood, though that is improving. We have so-so about antidepressants and nothing about sexual function. So clearly, we need to be, if we made it all available, I'll just shut the door, my door.
0: <laughs> if we
1: made all of that information available, then that would automatically reduce the whole taboo element of it. Um, right. And I often find that in places where an email service is available, people who are very shy might raise something in the written form that they wouldn't want to do in person. And that should be perfectly acceptable.
0: That could be really good for people who actually, I think, tend to go to appointments with a loved one or their carer or their partner, you know, you're like, dude, I love you and I I want to, you know, let's let's have some fun, but I don't want to talk about this in front of you. I just don't. Just like therapy, I guess, you know, it can... Exactly. Lush. Oh. I'm going to put some links under this podcast video. If people want to get hold of you, how should they do so, Charlotte?
1: My email address is charlottelawtham 2 at wales.nhs.uk. I'm also on Twitter mm-hmm. at Atsy and I'm a bit of a Twitter-holic. So
0: and dog holic by the way i know, I know. i've it's, seen the post so there's a, a, a bit
1: of epilepsy a lot of dogs and a bit of rugby it's like
0: that <laughs> fab fab thank you so much for joining us this has been great so everybody get ready we are going to be talking more about the topic of sex and things that come with it in future episodes thank you so much <laughs> if you'd like to connect you can find me on twitter linkedin facebook or instagram And I'd love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about today's show. Please subscribe to Epilepsy Sparks Insights on your podcast app so that you will never miss the weekly episode. I'm Tori Robinson. Thanks for listening.